Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Do you enjoy complex organizations and factions in your world? Do you want to know the secrets of the man, the myth, the legend? Nope. No. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about just exactly that, and we're excited to give you these little bullet points that'll help you flesh out your world-building lore and help you design really engaging factions for your D&D campaigns. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I'm your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. <laughs> oh, God. I'm your co-host, Brandon. <laughs> uh, we hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next D&D adventure. You know what I miss? What do you miss? I miss, uh, that's right, your roles are like... Yeah. Or did we get, like, hit I, by a copyright? No, I just, I cut it. <laughs> you didn't want to do it anymore? We got enough fans to give us ideas. Yeah, I'm good. All right. <laughs> Uh, I do miss the uh, uh, miss it a little bit, though. Anyways, yeah. got to cut some stuff to stay down to an hour. All right, so today, creating organizations like any other detail in the world needs to be more than a simple idea in your head for a number of reasons. It can consist of short sentences, bullet points, a large chunk of scribbled paragraphs, or scribbled incorrect grammar with terrible spellings like mine. Uh, but when you document the details of a specific organization... Uh, it helps to ensure that you as the dungeon master and your NPCs and monsters that are in that organization take the appropriate actions that reflect that organization. I mean, just imagine if the Zentarum people started around, uh, started walking around and doing so little more, you know, building homes and, <laughs> and feeding the hungry. They're not known for that, so it doesn't typically make sense. Or they are doing it, and everyone thinks, what do they want? <laughs> so, yeah, that's... um... I, I wouldn't believe it for a second. Yeah, right? You'd be like, alright. This is Zentarum, but they're building a hospital? <laughs> that makes no fucking sense. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's part of it, for, right? It's a front for something else. They're laundering money, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're gonna give you guys the wonderful, uh, kind of a, uh, in faction organization, an organization guide, um, some little details that might help them flush it out. So the first thing is a name of the faction or organization. Why is this important, Ian? Well, there's a few reasons. First and foremost, a title is what people think of your organization. And, um, okay. I know you, in your notes say, an assassin guild, but named, uh, Bones biscuits probably not gonna inspire your fear. <laughs> Rebuttal. That mean think think about how embarrassing it would be to be killed by the assassins guild called Bones biscuits. <laughs> I was killed by a biscuit. Get, and for that matter, it, it makes it that much easier to discuss the organization openly, and no one knows what you're talking about. Um. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, uh, when it, uh, uh, oh, Silver Wolf makes a really great, uh, point in guilds of ravnica they are a great example of large powerful and complex factions um and each one has its own responsibility and job in the the in the setting do you know anything about the ravnica or i do not i just remember when uh the book had come out with all the factions Mm -hmm. but i was not intellectually so uh a good example is the Demir. They are known as like the spies that. and stuff. I yeah. like Demir because they were black blue when I played Magic the Gathering. So, like. <laughs> so the, they're synonymous <laughs> with spy networking and, and, and information gathering. So having a good name that fits is important to the group being taken seriously in whatever capacity. And that's the easy part to come up with, right? Uh, once you've come up with a name, which once again is that's the simple step, right? That's the first step. A good name will help you dis- um, make sure that they're easily identifiable. Um, I say a next thing is a stated goal, right? Mm-hmm. What is a stated goal? Do you guys have any examples of a good stated goal for a faction? To build buildings out of rocks. The goal of the Freemasons. Okay. Um, so uh, infrastructure, right? Yeah. yeah. KFC's responsibility is to make finger-licking good chicken. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're not endorsed by them, by the way. I'm just saying. But if you'd like to, we will certainly be happy to pre- talk about finger-licking good chicken. I fucking love them. <laughs> but anyways, uh, uh, a stated goal is what the world perceives the goal of this faction to be. Whether it's serving finger-licking good chicken building infrastructure whether it's a the goal is it's a, a typical bar right it's a, it's an innkeeper um a collection of merchants right yep. um a, a merchants guild that specifically tile uh styled towards textiles is going to be different than uh a merchants guild that's related to armor and in in weaponsmithing and so coming up with a public um a a public goal for that organization is the first step. Um, I mentioned, you know, taverns having a, a collection of thieves guilds that own taverns. Their stated goal is going to be way different than their true goal, which is the next thing you want to really include. What are some really good examples of that? We just touched on one for a second there. Money, 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 money. Money. People like money. Um, money. Money. What's an example of a stated goal a faction you can think of where the stated goal is different than the true goal? Uh, stated goal saying I'm going to plant a bunch of food in the gardens around the center of the main street of the city so that people can be fed. What is my true goal? To have so, the bodies underneath them. <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> I was going to say that to, to become U.S. more... U.S. democracy. More, <laughs> <laughs> to become more renowned and like uh, have people want to hire me for other shit I don't know yes democracy is a good one alright so <laughs> let me give you an example having the like uh, US Postal Service be their like stay goal being to deliver packages and mail with their true goal being to be a domestic spy agency that's a good example yeah, that's um, good. so <laughs> temples in fantasy worlds right their stated goal is Praise be to Yevin or or Tyr or whatever god, and they're doing the god's business. But in the back, they're a secret dark cult that's actually bringing the antithesis of that god out. Yeah. Like, that's not something you would expect. Going to a temple of Tyr and then finding out it's full of followers of uh, 
uh, Tiamat that are trying to raise it, and the other one is just a front, and they systematically just kind of replaced the original priests, right? Uh-huh. Um, here's a really good example in chat by, uh, by Andrew. It says, Facebook Outwards Facing Mission is to bring people together, but instead their goal is to make money by selling your data. That is a really great real-life example. <laughs> but the the but the point is by having a public goal and a true goal can help create um uh conflict right <laughs> it creates conflict a good ooh so um, uh, anybody that watches or read the wheel of time you have the 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 white cloaks right their stated goal is to protect all of humanity that is not their true goal they are their true goal is to basically control everything um because they believe that's what's safest for everyone else so but they're never going to say we're going to take control of everything to make it all safe of course their actions make it that kind of clear if you're you know paying attention yeah um so now now that you've got a name you've got a stated goal you've got a true goal um identifying an alignment for that is really important as well um the reason is because if you have a general alignment for the 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 faction it makes it easier to make on the fly decisions to when you're in the characters are engaging with the npcs related to those particular factions so <laughs> uh, a really great example of assigning uh, uh alignment would be let's go back to the 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 temple and the priest example right mm -hmm. if you assign that they are k lawful evil you know that if there's anyone that is religion <laughs> that's why i went back to the temple example um if you uh silver wolf says orzov syndicate from ravnica they're a bank of the realm but really they are just filling their pockets from beyond uh the grave yeah they're constantly filling their pockets and stealing from people that's kind of their shtick right um the other thing uh i was going to anyways with the the temple example if the characters encounter somebody from this temple of Tear slash Tiamat, and you know that they're lawful evil, their actions will reflect on that. Because lawful generally means some sort of hierarchy or policies that they follow, yeah, they right? Have, they have rules they gotta follow. So the action that they take would reflect, okay, if I do this, I know I need to do this, but if I do it not in the right way, I'm going to get shit canned, Right. So giving an alignment makes it easier for the DM to kind of make those decisions on the fly, which is super uh, important when you have to make them up off the cuff sometimes. Uh, there's another really important step. Now, those are kind of the easy ones, right? Mm -hmm. The next one's a little more complicated. What do you guys think about philosophy? Why do they act as they do? Well, one... Um Example I just gave in chat was like in the anime Gungrave, they established early on that the mafia, the intent behind its formation was like they lived in a city which was essentially lawless, mm -hmm. and the established government was doing absolutely nothing to to establish order. So they stepped in and did it themselves. But the longer the organization existed, the more it's uh, it got corrupted from its original goal, but by by newer members. <laughs> right, right. That's a that's a good one. I like that. What about you, B? How about put some power in your voice? Power. Power. <laughs> power is, power is a, a yeah, good power. one. Might is right is a real common one, right? Yeah, might is right. I deserve to rule because I'm strongest. I know it's best for you because I'm strongest. 
Um, oh, Dalsinia has a really good point here about uh, the alignment. Um, having thought out alignment means it's uh, easier for detect good and evil spells if you decide ahead of time, which mm -hmm. is really nice. Anyways, uh, so back to the uh, the philosophy. Um, you know, a philosophy um, is a powerful tool for kind of building the complexity of the organization. Um, it can change the manner and approach that the organization might take. So, for instance, a temple of paladins who are planning to remove evil from the world um, may have a very loose definition of evil. You steal, off goes your hand, you know? Uh, <laughs> so um, that sort of philosophy is, okay, if it's against the law, it's evil. And this is where you start to run into the, the what is the law is not necessarily what is right. And you get sort of into that moral quandary. So the philosophy of your organization is really, really can be really have an impact in the way the world um, reacts to them. Right. Mm -hmm. With a group of paladins removing the hands of thieves. You can bet your ass that every thief in the areas be like, oh, they're coming. Go hide. You know, no. you guys have anything to add to philosophy? What are some good – is there any uh, good ways of, uh, of philosophy that you think would really fit an organization in a fantasy realm? Uh, I am now picturing a League of Vampires who form a shadowy organization to control Dermot's behind the scenes by using their wisdom and experience to guide things. Ooh. They have been around a long time. Yep. That's really good. Um, so for me, philosophy is one of my favorite mechanics um, to flesh out. Because it really gives me a good idea, even deeper than uh, alignment, of the way they would handle stuff. Um, for me, I'm a big fan of the Brandon Sanderson books. If you haven't checked them out, you need to. I've talked about them numerous times. I know Ian enjoys them too. Um, and Andrew in chat says, if a group slowly loses all of its original members, having died or left something, or, or something has been part – and for them have been replaced – does the group maintain the original goals from the original founders? Ooh, that's good. The young ones always get all aggressive because they hate tradition, right? They don't like the way that's the way it used to be. You know, we're gonna we're gonna uh, follow a new pro, uh, new path. Um, what I was getting at with the uh, Brandon Sanderson stuff, you know, each of the Night Radiance in the Stormlight Archives have a philosophy or an oath that they have to follow, mm -hmm. and when they don't, it affects them emotionally and um, affects their powers. So that can be a uh, uh, a, a thing that could tie your faction together. What about history, you guys? How did they come to be? What are some good um, bullet points for history in a in a faction or organization if you're designing one? Hmm. I've always think, why are they doing it, and why why was it started? Why was it started? That's a good one. Like Batman, he didn't become Batman because or until he was like, well. There's too much crime on these streets. This is my city. I'm going to take it back. Also, he's not a faction, but... Well, actually, it's not completely true because it did lead to the founding of the Bat family, which also led eventually to the founding of the Outsiders, which eventually oh. led to the founding of Batman, Inc. Well, at least they're adding <laughs> to the conversation now, so I appreciate Batman that. Batman Incorporated? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. That's hilarious. That's funny. And funny. Um, <laughs> like, a new, like, he's, like he was establishing different uh, Batman in various countries <laughs> around the world. Dude, that is awesome. I want to be a no, Batman ninja, Batman. which is a thing. Uh, so 
Um, having history is a de uh, defining this reason can really just help build out lore and the faction's place in the world. Um, was it forged out of necessity? Was it out of pleasure or pain? Each of these will attract a different type of member, right? Mm -hmm. um, for me, a merchant's guild usually comes about when there needs to be a way to get needed materials from one location to another, right? Yep. And so somebody has to take on that responsibility, right, Martha? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so for a merchant's guild to start off as, well, this town ran out of um, the soil turned bad and they couldn't harvest their own wheat or anything, but they could still grow corn. So they start uh, trading with a nearby village, but they don't have all the resources they need. And you create somebody takes responsibility for that and starts kind of a, a trade caravan, which then just grows and becomes this merchant's guild that is solely responsible for ensuring the survival of these people. So that's going to affect the way the people react to that members of that guild, right? Right. You're going to say something. Oh, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> um, and so to me, history is really important. And it doesn't have to be anything that is super detailed, just a couple sentences, but it gives you something to go off of. That's disturbing. Okay. <laughs> what? I'm talking about the in chat right now, but I'm not talking about the Thieves that Guild and the uh, Discworld book Guards Guards. <laughs> <laughs> What's Guards Guards? That's a guard that guards a guard. Okay. Well, I'm stab you. Well, ba <laughs> well basically... The well, basically, in like the city where the book Guards Guards takes place, the city lord thought it was too expensive to run the police force. So what he ended up doing was he actually actually made a deal with the thieves, legitimized them, had them form a guild, and they ended up like uh, having like uh, the citizens pay, pay bribes, pay a toll to them, so they so they don't, they don't get robbed. They get, would plan the robberies ahead of time so people know how to work around them, and if anybody was caught like practicing crime without a license. <laughs> <laughs> they would like have, have their. They would suddenly be introduced to very large men with clubs. <laughs> very cool. And end up being cheaper than the police force. <laughs> so now that you've kind of got an outline of your history, leadership is the next thing. Um, who are the key members that run an organization? You know, this help identify the critical players in the stories and their motivations, right? What are some good examples of memorable leaders that run factions or organizations? Yeah, generally, it's uh, founders would end up being leaders. Okay. Uh, Xanathar being the leader of his own guild. That's a really, yeah, really great example. He's a very powerful leader, and people fear him. No. And for a good reason. Yeah, he, that's a really great example because um, he has his own reasons for doing everything and nobody can push him around really so he can do whatever he kind of wants and then he just you know scares everyone into doing what he needs um he's one of the few i think he's one of the few beholders that actually happily interacts with people even if he's disgusted with them right um so some other really great examples of leaders i think uh include um the uh <laughs> Check out our blog for tons of tasty D&D morsels. I love it. Um, so uh, when it comes to leaderships, one of my, my favorite leaders is of uh, a faction. And <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. Um, I think uh, <laughs> uh, Gandalf is a really great – I would consider him a faction leader, right? Why are you embarrassed to say that out loud? Because Gandalf is really overrated. <laughs> 
Gandalf is the shit. If he's so great, they would have just flew right to the mountain with the stupid eagles. Actually, yeah, no, well, because the, at the time the eagles were having a conflict with the kingdoms of men at the time due, due, due to the fact that eagles attacked the, their herds. And Gandalf is always smart one of the party. Everyone else is stupid, otherwise I wouldn't figure that out. <laughs> he, well, he did tell them, fly, you fools! And they're like, no, we'll walk. Gandalf <laughs> <laughs> is pretty. He's got a fiery whip. Anyways, um, so but that's a that's a very powerful character in a very powerful position. <laughs> Another one, I'm a big fan of the Maggie series and um, King. Um, oh shit, King King Simbad <laughs> is a really great leader, right? And he's known around the world for his accomplishments and stuff like that. So when you're designing a big organization, give that leadership something recognizable, something that all the players will know. Because that'll make the this person seem bigger than the party, and you really want that. Ooh, Nick Fury's a really great example. I like that. He's a really great leader and is well-known um, in the – well, I would say he's well-known in the right circles, right? Because he's a spy, so if anyone else knows about him but that's not supposed to, they're probably dead. <laughs> and now I'm thinking about Cecil from Invincible. Who basically led, like, the government coalitions, which uh, – Oh, yeah, yeah. Who, who basically, like uh, – was in charge of like their of the Justice League, and he monitored like uh, this the world and how safe it was. But he was also was not afraid to do moral du dubious things for the greater good long term. Yeah, another... Darwin's talking shit. Come on, Justin, a million orcs would just shoot the fucker down basically in, in no short Who's terms. Luna from Sailor Moon. Alicia did. Alicia did. She's say, a good example. I was gonna say Sailor Venus. She's a good no, Venus? she's she's a leader like at the start, and then she quickly becomes as dim-witted as the rest of them. And she's supposed to be the leader of all this council. Anyways, uh, uh, I think another really good leader would be Palpatine. <laughs> Ooh, jacks, wait, are we talking about when he's in the Senate, uh, or just because his, his whole career he jacked everything up and he did everything from start to finish? It was all planned, and he was like, "Ha ha, bitch, look what I got! I got this. I got Star Destroyers now. Ha ha ha! I'm king." You could argue Emperor. that for any of the Jedi leaders too, right? Like Yoda. Um, Yoda didn't massacre people. <laughs> well, it's funny. So I'm I'm a, I'm trying to become a master level problem solver, and one of my instructors came up and said, "Justin," because I, I had, might have had an outburst at somebody doing something stupid and it didn't make sense. <laughs> and so he brought me this this slide from the the master class, and it's got Yoda and it's got Darth Vader. And he says, "Now, when you're coaching somebody, which one of these?" would you want to be? And I was like, Vader, he got shit done. Yoda hit in a bog. Like, that's not even a contest. He's like, you're missing the point, Justin. I'm like, no, do I want to get stuff done? Or do I want to, you know, so that, so leadership matters, right? Yeah, um, do it yourself, yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. Now about how like a lot of people, the new church, she was saying, look what I'm running away and hide. Me like, Obi-Wan and Yoda. They usually have to reply to that. Uh, all right. So uh, now that we talked about leadership, there's another thing that's really important. <laughs> Membership. Membership. How does one yeah. join the faction? This is a really, really great thing to have planned out. Should the characters take interest in joining? For example, joining a simple faction like a Merchant's Guild might just require having a certain amount of wealth to start. You know, once you have enough wealth, then you got to, you know, fill out some paperwork pay some regular fees that come around regularly, but and then gain some special services uh, and renown that comes with that name. Um, now, now you just made me think of the IT crowd. When I started this company, all I had two things. My wits and civilian pounds. <laughs> or, or like, or like uh, if you want to become a member of uh, the Xanathar Guild, you, you need to 
like pay up a a small fee for the year, a yearly fee, mm-hmm. and you must absolutely uh, present uh, a Zentarum tattoo ripped off of a uh, rival member. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that is awesome. I think that uh, in in in. I'm gonna plug the guild's guide, uh, guildmaster's guide to Ravnica, because each of the guilds has details of how you can become a member and the different ways you can rank up and stuff. And so that's a really fun thing to do. And the players will be surprised if Ian turns and says, "I would like to join the Zen- the the Xanathers Guild." Well, did you bring me a tattoo from the skin from the flesh of an enemy? N- no. Now you get an arrow in the chest. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, just something that's uh, interesting to me. Um, Dalcinia says, uh, is it recruitment like military draft or the CIA, or is it more an active uh, job application? That's a really good idea. Can you imagine? Like, So, uh, spoiler alert, can we, is it too, is, is uh, the new uh, Mandalorian season one been out long enough? I can spoil that. Yeah. yeah. Is that good? What is it, like six weeks? I think we're all beyond that. We're in another season. So in The Mandalorian, there's a very particular way that they get new recruits. Yeah. Um, they kidnap them. <laughs> or rescue is what it's made out to be, but it was kidnapping. I don't care what he says. Isn't that how Master Chief was made? All those Spartans kidnap children? Yep. Yes. Yeah. So how do you join this? Well, there's a very complex uh, process that you're not uh, privy to. Billy, grab that kid. <laughs> So think about those little things. <laughs> Obviously, evil people are – well, no, because the, the Master Chief, that's all made for a good quote-unquote reason, right? That's once again where the the um, kind of bringing it full circle to where the stated goal is versus the the true goal, right? Humanity survival at he, all costs. He-Man? Humanity. Humanity. Okay, yeah. I thought, like, I thought you said He-Man. I was like, where are you going? Wasn't that the purpose of the entire storyline for Halo 4 was how jacked up that was and they had to figure out why they were stealing kids? Yeah. And so that's really uh, important. And I'm doing that really uh, right now with my Emerald patron, uh, Garwin and the team. They they are becoming – they're taking their initial test to become fangs, I think is what the initial term is, to become a Zentarum member and so there's a quest that's that's all kind of they got hired to, to support somebody and when they first met the person they didn't really have no respect for ah yeah okay i guess this is all the support i get <laughs> but it ended up being pretty good so all right what is uh something else here we got uh structure how is your faction organized to function hierarchy is important for any big big organization having a decent idea of how organization is formatted allows you to kind of set the levels of importance of npcs and this is perfect for military organizations right such as a queen's guard where knowing the structure means we as the characters can easily rank the soldiers in their skills right because usually the higher up the stronger the guy right (laughs) um and so that makes it really easy to having um, identifying sigils and badges that helps the players know the importance of a person within an organization at a glance. What do you guys think about that? I like the, the structure of specifically the military type because I was in the military mm-hmm. and I liked the way it worked. Because when I made a E3, E4, if my E5 uh, pastor would come up and be like, hey, great, well, I need you to go clean this bilge. I'd look over, look over to E3 and go, hey, 
I need you to go clean this building. <laughs> <laughs> so you just give the assignment exactly to somebody clean, else. Yes. <laughs> but of course, if they didn't finish it, then it's my ass they got to deal with. Ah, and that's why a structure is important, right? Yeah. Because it's always going to bite somebody in the ass. And you see that in like movies and other media, right? Where a leader sends a, uh, his lieutenant to get something done, and the lieutenant sends all the minions, and they report back to the lieutenant, we failed! I'll have your heads! And then, you know, he'll literally have their head, and then he'll report back to the boss, and the boss will take his head. Yep. Or they'll give him one more shot, and then they're that's out, a, even more minions. That's why it's important to supervise. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's also important to have an organization, because what if the player characters take out one of those people? Can you imagine one of the lower uh, people that managed to survive an encounter with the characters becoming the next, like, replacement for the person that they take out? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it's really great to, uh, to include a sort of structure. Um, and it also helps flesh out your story and your world even more and helps bring attention back to the other things. Like when your structure comes back to leadership, right? Who's at the top, who's at the bottom and having a good structure also gives you fun to give opportunity to give names to stuff. If you like to do that sort of stuff, you know, like, uh, uh, what's a, what would be like a low level thief crew ranks? A low level thief? Just like a thug, maybe? I don't know. That's thug. a bad, that's not a really good example. Thug. A military, in, in the military, you'd have like a, a, a guard, right? You're just a guard, now you're a captain, and, and you know, so, um, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, uh, so, another thing that uh, you can add, and now we're getting into some of the things that are less needed, but are still really great to add to your, um, to your stories. You want to tell us a little bit about activities? Activities. You gotta think of activities for the faction to be able to do. Like, uh, let's say they hold a bake sale. That's an activity you could do. Can you... <laughs> How does that advance their agenda? Money. Unless they're spreading poison or something into the even that could work. Into yes. the brownies. But I, I still imagine Xanathar being like, "Hey kids, how you doing? You want some brownies? We got some good brownies here. Have a lemon tart. I made this one myself. Why is it green? Don't ask questions." The reason why activities are important because it gives us an idea of what the factions are doing when the character with or without the characters. What's going on outside the box, right? Yep. If you're okay, let's say here your <laughs> your alchemist guild is trying to um, optimize their business, so maybe they put some addicting drugs inside their brownies, right? And they start passing them out. Well, with the characters not there, what's going to happen to a city really quick? You mean uh, they uh, they don't become experiments? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I like that. People start transforming. Damn it, Billy! I told you not to mix the red bottle. Mix the red bottle with the green bottle. I'm colorblind. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Why would you give me this responsibility? <laughs> uh, Alicia yeah. says every organization needs to raise money to cover overhead. Maybe they just like to bake. <laughs> Dulcinea says some factions may have important functions in relation to local custom holidays or related weather seasons, moon phases. That's where you start to get into dark rit type, type stuff, right? Dark rituals, because every time the moon touches the horizon and it's full and the skies are cleared, the weirdos from the temple come out. <laughs> Um, and I think that having an activity that pushes the agenda goes even deeper than that. So if you're trying to drive a more political focused story, then understanding what activities they're doing to influence other um, factions is important. Or for that matter, how do they interact with other uh, factions? Like be it they uh, – do they have enemies? <laughs> Ooh, yes, which is a perfect segue into the next point. Exactly. <laughs> Like uh, the uh, League of Shadows, their enemy is Batman. 
I thought you were going to say it was the League of Light. It was the League of Light. <laughs> Come on, you didn't catch that. The enemy of the League of Shadows is the League of Light. Oh, yeah, that is kind of not funny. <laughs> wow, you can get the <laughs> darkest part of my ass. <laughs> so, uh, enemies, are the others? Are there others who openly or uh, violently in conflict with the organization? This is great as it creates, you know, new opportunities and can help make the world feel a little more alive and having organizations that rise and fall in power. Um, this is also a great tool when the characters need to gather information on a particular organization. Uh, for the right price, their enemy is happy to offer assistance because the enemy of my enemy is my friend, ally, friend, whatever. I Client. Client. <laughs> um, so this is a really great way because especially if you're if you've got a lot of war and stuff in your your setting, understanding who's against who creates an interesting dynamic for the characters to be a part of. Because the the way the politics works, it's going to influence the behavior of the people at the bottom too. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that in even our own political climates, right? Some people just mistrust other people because of what they think, you right? See that a lot in unions, huh? Don't you see that a lot in unions? Or some people are just being paranoid. See things that aren't there. <laughs> yeah, I see things that aren't there. I can feel it too. Might want to change your diet. It's chilly. <laughs> <laughs> I was going. I was going for the wind, but uh, I guess I'll accept that. All right. Uh, so, talking about enemies, um, those are usually more aggressive, right? Yeah, Somebody yeah. trying to bring you down. What about rivals? Somewhere, something that's uh, a political opponent that <laughs> is a more peaceful, peace, peaceful kind of interaction might be a little attitude Jim, but uh jim's bakery versus jan's bakery across the street <laughs> <laughs> rivals are wonderful because you know it is often two groups that fall along the same side but just have a difference of opinion on the best approach to get there um and so you see this a lot with like merchants and traders right they're very competitive but in the end they're both trying to do the same thing right i love you man i fucking hate you <laughs> <laughs> um so one of the last things I want to talk about before we run out of time here is uh, factions and clans within an organization. So all that stuff we just talked about, you can apply that to other subsets inside a same faction. Uh, I'm going to bring up Wheel of Time again because I'm reading it and <laughs> it's always on my mind. You have the, uh, the Aes Sedai that have their own little Ajas, their own little factions inside um, the the White Tower as a whole, and they all have their own agendas, and they all want different things, even though they're technically a part of the same entity. So that's something that can add another level of complexity to your factions and organizations. What do you guys think about that? I'm also thinking about the Inquisition from uh, Warhammer 40k. Like, yeah, like their whole thing is like to keep committing and tracking the smite their enemies, but even then, there's like the order that. That focuses on demons, the order that focuses on aliens, the order that focuses on, like, uh, rogue spellcasters. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. What about you, that, B? That's actually something that was on my boat. Just cause Factions you got, within your boat? Yes, just because just you got a bunch of uh, officers and a bunch of enlisted doesn't mean that they're not divided. Like, we got the engineering department. That's made up of three different types of, well, quote-unquote factions. Yeah, we don't like those guys. Like, nukes, uh... 
electricians, uh, mechanics, like what I was, A-gang is what we're And so do they have their own kind of, do they kind of roam together as having the same ideals of the way things should unfold and be run? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Especially the mechanics, like, uh... You guys don't touch that shit. That's that's ours. And we come back and some dial has been moving. We're like, motherfuckers! <laughs> Who's turning my knobs? Um, once again, this is taking it even deeper. Um, but it's something to remember if you're trying to flesh out your world. Your world, And especially when you're doing political intrigue or espionage type uh, cloak and dagger type stuff. This is certainly something you want to include. And once again, you can take this entire template and apply it to those inner those sub-factions, right? Um, Andrew says, not to mention each Aja has its own internal politics to navigate since it has its own power structure. Absolutely. And that's, that is one of my favorite, um, levels of complexity in factions because the whole concept of you all gain power and get to choose which focus you want. The red Aja are all about stilling men and making sure they can't channel while you got the green that are all about battle and fighting the, 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 the shadows and all that jazz. Um, and, um, you know, they all got their own little, uh, their own little spiels, right? And I, that's why I think having good sub-factions is really, really great. And they made sense to me that the red was the largest, apparently. Is it? Yeah. Uh, well. It's like, but that's like their one job, but the, the job of the whole organization in the first place is they were coming across men, so... <laughs> yeah, and there's, I mean, how many do they end up actually finding? Just a few, right? A handful until, uh, the Dragon Reborn shows up. I think it depends on when the... Bri- how far you are from the breaking of the world and so forth. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, Wheel of Time. The books, not the show. Yeah. There's an Amazon show, though. We don't see that more. <laughs> I liked it. I, w- I do think they did uh, Perrin dirty, though. They did a lot of characters dirty. I, but I uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I'd rather have seen one of the, uh, the other NPCs get their shit kicked in. <laughs> Uh, anyways, uh, so, uh, I, um, keep in mind, this is not an all encompassing tool, but we hope it will provide a little bit of an outline to help you bring your stories and campaigns to life. Are there any tools or concepts that you you use that we might've missed? Please email them to us at critacademy at gmail.com. We love seeing different techniques and different ideas that people, um, use to help bring their worlds to life. So make sure you choose a proper name. You might be the best uh, plumbers in the world, but if you have shit-stained village, you're not going to get hired. <laughs> All right, uh, I want to. That'll do it for our main topic. I really want to take a moment to talk about uh, Jeff Stevens' potbelly cobalt. Um, I have to be honest. I absolutely love this book. I was very happy to back it as a uh, Kickstarter uh, backer. Um, it really uh, turned out fantastic it includes adventures from so many amazing writers um which is super fantastic so make sure you check that out um honestly i love anytime you have a collection of adventures that you can just pop into your stories (laughs) it includes a, a collection of adventures written by some of the best in the business mt black james intracasso um, uh, lots of really great team members. So, it, uh, the one thing it does really, really well is it creates kind of an overarching story with this gnome, this gnome wizard who got into a battle and got cursed and turned her into a potbelly kobold. And so now part of the overarching story is finding items in these adventures 
that can help cure her curse, which is really, really cool. I saw that when I was looking at drive the other day. I was like, ooh, what's this? Yeah, it's it's really, really nice. Um, I also want to give a huge shout-out to uh, Jeff's Talks RPG. Um, the guy is uh, – uh, if it wasn't for him, the, the, we probably wouldn't be publishers right now. So he's been uh, really wonderful. He actually started his own show. He talks other RPG creators and producers about the RPG industry as a whole, game design and more. Um, and we think you'll really like, like it. Check out episode three specifically. He got Ed Greenwood on his show, creator of the Forgotten Realms. Clearly we need to step up our game, you guys. Um, so head on over and check out Jeff uh, Talks RPGs. It's available on Twitch, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. It's good shit. Head on over to rebrand.ly slash potbellycobalt. Check it out. It's an affiliate link. So if you support it and you do like it, we get a small kickback. So do that. Do it now. All of you. Every listener, right now. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our monster today is the Ratani Slayer. Um, so to build this rat bastard quite literally you're going to start with the origin stat block of the cult uh, cult fanatic you're going to lose dark devotion spell casting dagger and you're going to swap its decks and strength scores because we're going to build a rat folk that's a barbarian-esque bastard so we're going to give him the aggressive feature which as a bonus action the ratani slayer can move up to half its speed towards a hostile creature that it can see oh goodness that's great you're basically making it faster right yep we're going to give it Rampage when the Ratani uh, reduces a creature to zero hit points with a melee attack on its turn. The Ratani can take a bonus action and move up to half its speed and make a, 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 a attack with its Great Axe. Yes, this little rat bastard has a Great Axe, which I, if you've seen the artwork, it's just the most adorable thing ever. What else does it have, Brandon? Oh, there it is. What do you think? Literally a little, little bastard. He's got to use his tail to help swing that thing. Ooh, that's really good. He's got pack tactics. The Rutini has advantage on uh, an attack roll against a creature if at least one of the Rutini's allies is within five feet of the creature and the ally isn't incapacitated. And its great axe is, well, go figure, a melee weapon attack. Plus half the hit, five foot reach, one target, 1d12 plus 12 slashing. It also has a hand axe. Does what you expect the hand axe to do. <laughs> You can check it. One T twelve plus twelve and uh, <laughs> uh, get rid of one of the ones. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're also gonna give it reaction because I truly believe every monster should have at least a reaction, if not legendary actions. We're gonna give it retaliation when the Ratani Slayer takes damage from a creature that is within five feet of it. It can use its reaction to make a melee weapon attack against the creature. <laughs> Where retaliations have retaliation. <laughs> well um i could have spelled it uh retaliation <laughs> anyways i like this little bastard what do you guys think uh he looks fun he seems fun i imagine just the little voice i did that's where he runs up and he hits somebody knocks him on the zero turns and he does the rampage goes, <laughs> runs over the next Leaves out your gut it's like you guys are Rata- really good with those. It's like if Ratatouille got fired. And it's like, yes! I'm done. I'm actually picturing the uh, squirrel from uh, Ice Age. Ooh, that's a good one, too. I like that. All right, this is pretty simple, straightforward. Um, We got fun. Uh, if you know anything about our monsters, we fully flesh them out. Beautiful artwork, um, lore, uh, backstory, all that jazz. 
um, for our Patreon. So consider becoming a patron and get that and all the other wonderful monsters that we have, which is, well, what episode are we on? 264. 64. So there's at least 200 probably. <laughs> what? Jedi Dick Sensei. Because it's a ratata. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ratata. <laughs> I choose you. Just <laughs> charge him with that. Hey, Vegeta. That's a Pokemon. <laughs> use bite <laughs> I got an axe why would I use bite you idiot <laughs> alright uh, that'll do it for our monster the Ratani Slayer Brandon would you like to tell us about our encounter of the podcast Rumble in the Rocks Kermit the Frog used AK-47 it's super effective <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus that's uh, a meme uh, encounter Rumble in the Rocks. During their travels, the characters pass through an area heavily populated by sinkholes and an unusual amount of dust devils. Is that black and as in as a creature? Or is that hmm? just saying? This? Yes. Yeah, it's bold because it's a creature. Dust devils. I didn't know that. It's, it is a creature in the Mustang. We'll find it. Uh, the characters pass near the entrance of the lair of Ahom as an earth elemental bursts through the walls and attacks. It's going tight. When the... <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> when the characters enter the lair, they can seek out the cause for the attack. During their investigation through the lair, they learn it be uh, it belongs to a young blue dragon named Akom. Gesundheit. God damn it. <laughs> he is willing. Achoo? He is uh, planning on opening a permanent portal that connects his land to the elemental plane of Earth. Oh. The portal is to be sustained by an Earth monolith as a focal point for the connection. While inside, they discover a follower of Akam named Davini, who's a female cultist, who decided to desert their liege. Desert sounds good. Uh, <laughs> fearing, the, fearing the free passage of stone monsters into our realm and offers to reveal any and all they know for assistance escaping the lake. Uh, the Div uh, Divani shares with them the information on the Earth monolith and the danger it presents for the nearby region. This, you're going to want to use the Blue Dragon's region effects, right? All the little stuff that comes with that. Um, the deserters suggest they search Akhom's <laughs> lair to find clues to destroying the massive monolith. While exploring deeper into the complex lair, the characters stumble across a multitude of dust devils, earth elementals, and stone cultists. If the characters interrogate enemies or search thoroughly, they can find a captive dwarf named Gither Deep Delver as a, ma a mage who has been in prison and is uh, who has been in prison and holds the secret to the Earth monolith's destruction, for it was his work that made Occam's work possible. Bless you. The characters must battle with Occam <laughs> and his minions <laughs> while protecting the dwarf, while he dismantles the complex weave and stone ritual that is forming a permanent connection to the elemental plane of Earth. What do you guys think? I think you got some. Uh... One or two sessions, uh, Bill, uh, this no, without any problems. Oh, yeah. I may have got, gone a little overboard when I was writing. In my mind, it was like, oh, they go in, there's a ton thing, it's connected to the plane, it's it. But I just got a little excited. Uh, I think there's uh, far too many adventures where the adventurers are cutting it really close to the end of the world. <laughs> well, it doesn't say anything about the end of the world, just a connection to the elemental plane. Now, what was this thing you said uh, at the... It was near the top. Let me see here. Let me see here. What? Uh, blue dragon region effects. There's region effects for dragons? Yes. Yes. It's one of the coolest features of 5th edition. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. You, you read it and it says, 
within a mile of a drag this dragon's area sinkholes open up or some shit like that depending on the color of the dragon they elaborate uh, way more than fizzbanes go figure yeah oh yeah of course um all right yeah <laughs> andrew says the, maybe the party artificer builds a dust buzzer vacuum cleaner <laughs> to fight the dust devils i would tur- totally give advantage on attack rolls with that yeah. Um, all right, so uh, how about we move on to our magic item of the podcast, the Ring of the Mirror Blade. It is a ring, which is rare in Crystal Attunement. The ring was created by a powerful arcane trickster nicknamed the Mirror Blade. While wearing this ring, you your spell save DCs increases by one, and you can cast Misty Step as a bonus action using the ring. You cannot use this feature again until you finish a short or long rest. That didn't add up pretty fast. In addition, the first time you take the damage that reduces you to less than half your maximum hit points, you can use your reaction to cast a mirror image spell. Once this feature is used, it can't be used again until next dawn. You're asking yourself, why is it called the Mirror Blade? You'll find out when I introduce the Mirror Blade uh, monster. I This is a unique item that I... I have to wait a week. You gotta wait longer than that. Um, I created this item because I wanted a NPC villain that was powerful because they had a magic item that the players can take. Like right. the the creature itself isn't actually strong; it's just because it's got a magic yes. item. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It'll, huh. It's a weak. It's a weak character, and on its own, it does have you know uh, like sneak attack and a few things like that. But what gives it its great power is this ring. So that's something we don't see a lot of, is mundane creatures being strong because of because they possess forces. yes because they possess a magical item of sorts. Um, that. So I that I call I named it after the monster the the NBC that I created. Yeah. But anyways, uh, so what do you guys think about this? Getting access to increased spell save DCs, which makes sense because that's a secondary stat for uh, an arcane trickster, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easy to. Ignore stuff. Misty Step allows you to teleport away, and Mirror Image gives you defense. This is solely designed for the use by an arcane trickster. Oh, yeah. Uh, Delcinia says, that reminds me of a magic item from a book I read. An arcane worm that lived uh, lived in the wrist of its host and would extend an impossibly thin, practically invisible blade uh, on command. That's cool. That's really cool. Uh, like an assassin's hidden blade. Yeah, yep. that's what that sounds like. Uh, anyways, well, uh, what do you guys think? Pretty, pretty straightforward. Pretty interesting. Well, yeah. Effective. I like it. Uh, all right, that'll do it for our magic item, the ring of the mirror blade. See, does it now? You know, because it's an arcane trickster, does it make sense? Yeah. All right. <laughs> our dungeon master tip of the podcast um, is a number of alter uh, of details here, but it's customizing NPCs and monsters. So. There are a multitude of ways to customize your NPCs and monsters. Um, So below are some simple ways that you can make your NPCs and monsters feel completely different from what is written in the monster manual or whatever source book that you are getting them from. Uh, Ian, why don't you give us the first one? Well, one example is you can just simply change the race of of what the NPC is. Like, for example, if you make a guard a halfling, yeah, it becomes 25, but they gain the lucky trait. And, and it doesn't usually do much to really alter a monsters or NPCs challenge rating, which is great. So basically, all we did is give it what a racial feature. Yep. 
which is really nice because they all have so many varieties, right? Mm -hmm. A guard that's a high elf is going to have a cantrip, right? So there's a lot of versatility there. I I think if you uh, if you come across an NPC that happens to be a tiefling, if you attack it, I think they should always always be able to use Hellish Rebuke. I agree, and they should. Oh, and if you don't know, here's a bonus DM tip: use their most powerful abilities every time first. Uh, like our wonderful Ragnar did in our Clash of Classes, using his big-ass fireball and nuking his enemy in a single strike, almost. That was after whole person, to be fair. I'm going that, yeah, it's true. Uh, what's the next tip there? Uh, spell swaps. Yes. Swapping spells for NPCs. You see a lot of these uh, spellcasters, apprentice uh, wizards, apprentice sorcerers. This guy, okay, this, uh, there are spellcasters, and this is what they have available. At will, they got these, and here's some first-level spells. Change them. Take those, drop them, give them something different. I do it all the time. It's great. Or, shoot, just take the existing spells and change your element. Ooh, that would give you some oh, variation that the players wouldn't have. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Fireball's no thunderball. Oh, that is way cooler. In the James Bond movie. I love that. Dude, Not okay, so you can take it from a psychic ball. <gasps> oh, that's cool. All right, uh, anyways, very cool. Um, <laughs> This doesn't change the spells challenge or anything as well, by the way. No. All right. Armor and weapon swaps. This is one of my favorites because I think it's a really great great way to let it stand out um, that they're different. So simply upgrading and downgrading weapons uh, is a great way to feel the impact of the added variation in your game. So a Berserker, for instance, generally has a great axe. The stat block says it has a great axe. But you can easily substitute it with two short swords. Or a maul. Or a maul. A, the maul is not that much different than a great axe. It's just 2d6 instead of a d12. It is a shopping maul. Oh, my God. <laughs> Berserker just swinging a whole shopping mall. All right. This also allows for two attacks for the CR instead of one without really increasing the damage output, though it is likely to hit more often with two attacks than one, especially when combined with its reckless feature. So adjustments to AC and damage can change in NPC's CR rating, so just be mindful of that. Oh, yeah. Brandon, you want to pick up that last one there? Magic items. More powerful NPCs and monsters are likely to be in possession of one or more magic items. Oh, that sounds familiar. We were just talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> a mage, for instance, may have a wand of magic missile or a few spell scrolls. Giving a monster or NPC a potent damage-dealing magic ta uh, item could alter its challenge rating, of course. That doesn't make sense. Yep. So you got to be mindful of that as well. So these simple trips can, tricks can really make the same stat block seem so varied. As you probably have learned from our show. Because when I first started, that's all I did is swap out some of those things, right? Yep. Yeah. Now, honestly, the final product of what gets released in the, the, the stat block and the lore is generally different either than what we talk about here. But in the end, taking existing stat blocks and making changes is such a potent tool. And it these tips here are not that hard. You can change all of them if you want. You can take the, the Berserker stat block, make it a halfling, give it the lucky feature, give it the magic, uh, the ring of the mirror blade, and give it uh, uh, two weapons instead of, you know, a great axe. And it's a completely different beast. So, uh, Andrew says, uh, oh, a ring that grants a caster a transmute meta magic ability for free that lets it also affect radiant and necrotic spells. That's really cool. I like that. All right, so do you guys got anything else beyond uh, this Dungeon Master Guide tip? I mean, it's basically how you do the monster variants, so we're quite familiar with that. Yeah. All righty. Oh. That'll do it for our DM tip. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't, don't be, be a dick. dick! 
and you're certainly going to be a dick with most of our other tips, but not this one today. So I did something a little different here, guys, and I want to hear, uh, I want to really get some good thoughts on it. So we're going to introduce a background origin. Uh, we never have done, created a background for anybody. So this seemed like a good place to put it. Um, we're going to talk about the Black Shroud. You fled when you learned the hidden purpose behind the Black Shroud. The secret society, oh, that ties into our main topic, doesn't it? To which you belonged. The Black Shroud swore to bring down tyranny and replace rulership just, uh, justly in the hands of the people. But the leader, a warlock named Sin, secretly runs another criminal organization, the Black Blades, to bring about the downfall of civilization so that it can be taken over by their her patron. Gee, a person whose name is Sin's a villain? Who would they guess? She will. <laughs> hey, listen here now. <laughs> she will What's not name? let My you... Sin. That motherfucker right there. <laughs> Put him in jail. <laughs> I'm not judging a book by a cover. What Maybe it's short for cinnamon. Good Come on. It's my parents' fault. Maybe it's short for cinnamon. Cinnamon him. All right. She will Wait, not cinnamon. let you escape because you know too much. And now you must be reclaimed or silenced. In cities, she hunts you with assassins and thugs. In wilderness, she sends demons and devils of her patron. Ah! What a bitch. Right? That doesn't sound that fun. <laughs> so the new skill uh, you're going to get is deception and stealth. Tool proficiency will be disguise kit, language, any one of your choice, and equipment, a rugged traveler's cloak, a disguise kit, insert whatever trinket you want here, uh, I probably should have put an actual trinket there, but eh, add your own, a, a poorly drawn map of your patron's lair, a hidden patch sigil of your service to the Black Shroud, and a pouch containing ten gold pieces. What do you guys think about this tip? It's a little different than we normally would normally go. It is different, but I, it sounds awesome because there's i honestly there's there is a lack of backgrounds in the books and the other thing too though is like people forget that custom backgrounds is totally a thing so. yeah right it's right in the book here's how you do it because all it is is uh proficiencies it's no different than when you're picking options for your class right yeah but what do you guys think about the story besides you know like giving her a hard one, time because her name's sin <laughs> i like this one because it throws a uh a hook to the dm yes hallelujah oh there's there's a lot of stuff i could do for this player yeah. Are you now, going to the city? No. Hmm. Well, you're going to get attacked one way or another. Yeah. And so um, the one thing I didn't include in here was a uh, – a um, there's usually like a role-playing mechanic. But I thought that that was kind of uh, already in there. But what I was thinking of is the um, – what is the – And mileage is kind of varies with those anyway. Yeah, yeah. So you can add whatever one you want. But uh, that's really the, the, the theme of this. Um, would you guys use something like this? Sure. I would, yeah. Yeah, Andrew says, except some new backgrounds grant feats. I really hate that, and I think it's a terrible decision. So, Chris, Jeremy, if you're listening, and I know you are, because I keep seeing shit we talk about come up on your, your although, look at this new stuff that's coming out. Although, to be fair, the uh, backgrounds that usually give you feats are usually tied to specific settings and not the general game itself. Yeah, but no player is going to be like, oh, hey, we're doing this setting. No, hey, can I use this? Is more likely what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And the DM will have to yeah. say no. And then they're going to have a disagreement about it. It's a whole th I think it, I think I like what they did with uh, backgrounds in general. So I don't think they should have changed that. Anyways. Uh, all right. So that will do it for our player tip. 
Don't be, don't a, be dick. a dick. Oh, God, there was no energy at all behind don't that. Be a dick. So that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be a dick! All right, uh, before we close out today, um, I want to take a moment to uh, do our weekly Fat Loot giveaway. This week, we are giving away a free complimentary copy of Capes and Crooks, a 5e superhero RPG. Damn right. Take it, take it all in. Take it all my awesome. <laughs> for clarification, it is a PDF copy. I'm not sending you no books because it is not a hardcover product because not enough people back the Kickstarter. Yeah. But what I can tell you is that it's currently a five-starred rated book and everyone loves it. I know Ian got to play test it. It was fun. See? I didn't get to play test it, but I really wanted to. Eh, well, all you had to do is ask. Honestly, uh, if you don't know, it is a very unique mechanic to picking classes as it's sub there's no subclasses it's an a la carte style superhero rpg using the DD core mechanics um but giving you a lot of versatility picking your powers that you get your your at will powers your superpowers you get special um almost like mini feats they're called enhancements that you can get that can let you kind of flavor some of your stuff in a fun and unique way um i have completely more than once been told people are blown away by the um, creation character creation process. What do you think about the character creation process? Well, I just know that when we played that me and Austin picked the same class and had two wildly different characters. And it was glorious. And we even discussed multiple times who would win in the fight. And, the, uh, and we both basically said the other person. Uh, I think that's what uh, attracted me most to the Capes and Crooks in the first place was when you were talking about the character creation. Like, yeah, <laughs> you you can have four people choose the exact same class and that will be completely, completely different, different by the end of the yes. game. Yes, between the at wills and the enhancements. All right, who is our winner today, Brandon? <laughs> our winner is Tobias Rob Combs. <laughs> Too bad. Uh, no problem. <laughs> no problem. Head to www.critacademy.com and subscribe for your chance to win. Yes. I want to give a quick announcement. Our Unearthed Adventures Volume 3 releases April 15th. It contains six one-page adventures, so please con Woo. please consider visiting critacademy.com and pick it out and show us some love. A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, work goes into these, and um, yeah. Please visit us at CraigAmy.com. Follow us on social media. We're on TikTok. Um, make sure to leave us a review, all that jazz. Uh, <laughs> that'll do it for our show today. Um, I'm your host. I was going to say something else. Oh, but, okay. What? Um, if you're watching live right now on whatever platform, follow us if you're not already. And if you are, share us with your friends. We want to grow this into and reach so many. We want to we want to pleasure the ears of the world. So please help us achieve that goal. We have 9,500 subscribers on YouTube. 500 more to get to 10, gra 10 grand. Do it. Do it. 10K. Road to 10K. We should get something there. Yeah. That, that makes Can we give you away? That makes <laughs> He's married, sadly. <laughs> so that won't work. What, what? You're a great DM. I think you'd be an amazing award. Oh, that's what you oh that. Okay, I thought you were like, get the fuck off my show. No, no. Give you away. Like uh, like those things where they the the, the guys or the women uh, buy somebody for a night. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, you can head on over to start.games. 
or start starting what is it start playing dot games yeah gm you don't even gotta wait to win you can go do it right now sign up he'll run a game for you i'm your host justin i'm your co-host ian i'm your co-host brandon thanks for listening keep your blades sharp and spells prepared heroes So Andrew says, every week you say, I just want to take a moment, and I'm waiting for Ian and Brandon to follow up with... Just sit right there, and I'll tell you all about how I became the prince of the town called Bel Air. What the fuck? Wow. Could you not have slaughtered one of the greatest intros? I I couldn't have because I didn't read ahead, so I was... Oh, Jesus. I got halfway through, I was like, oh, I'm fucking this up.